242 groups are, are coming up uh, for this season. They're kicking off in October, so we're about five weeks away uh, from the kickoff of 242 groups. And uh, just out of curiosity, how, how many of you guys were part of a 242 group last this past season? Probably quite a few of you guys. <clears throat> if you've not been a part of one or if you're new here, um, Sunday morning is, is really just a small part of what we do, you guys. Um, it's the thing that most people come to. It's the thing that's, that's most attended. But um, this is not the whole uh, of our church. It's not the whole of what we do. It, it's only a part. Um, and I don't say only to, to minimize what happens on Sunday mornings, but <clears throat> all these other things that we have going on throughout the week, um, 242 groups, uh, youth group, the seniors Bible study, the, the men's and women's uh, Bible studies and discipleship groups, all of those things uh, are just integral parts <clears throat> of, of what we do and, and integral parts of, of what God is doing uh, in this body. And so as we get ready to kick off uh, home groups for another season, we, we just want to be mindful of um, the purpose, uh, of why is it that, that we do the things that we do. Um, Kevin and Rory and I got together uh, a week or so ago on a Monday night and uh, in Rory's basement just until midnight just talking about um, why, why do we do home groups? You know, why do we do Sunday morning? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And this was a really neat time for us to just kind of remember uh, our purpose and remember uh, what our focus is. And, and here in a few moments, Kevin's going to come up and he's going to talk about that and, and kind of unpack that for you guys um, just to, to be reminded of, of why we are here and why we do the things that we do. <clears throat> but uh, just talking specifically about uh, 242 groups, uh, we call them 242 groups because they're, they're based on a scripture in Acts uh, 242. Let me just read this to you guys. <clears throat> and this is, Peter had, had just preached a sermon and, and many people had, had come to faith um, at, at the, the preaching of this sermon. And all of a sudden, it's the, the church was born uh, in this moment. And, and this gives us a glimpse into what the church looked like uh, at its birth. It says this in Acts 242. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds uh, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And so that's kind of where, where the name comes from of, of 242 groups as we gather in homes with, with one another. Um, we're, none of us are meant, we're, we're not, God did not save us for us to, to do this thing, to walk this Christian walk uh, by ourselves, right? God saved us as part of a community and the gospel was meant to be lived out in community with one another, uh, being involved in one another's lives, bringing accountability to one another, praying for one another, serving one another, <clears throat> uh, being there for one another. And this is exactly what we see happening at the birth of the church. And so, so when we look at, at 242 groups, that, that's kind of the vision that we have in mind is living life together, um, gospel-centered relationships together, uh, praying together, fellowshipping together, um, sometimes sharing meals together, uh, all for a purpose. And, and like I said, Kevin's going to come and talk about that purpose, and so I'm not going to steal his thunder, just leave you hanging for a few minutes um, you know, on that purpose. But um, 
<clears throat> we don't want home groups or anything that we do to just become one more thing that gets put on our schedule um, as we go through the routine of our week. And if you're anything like me, it's real easy to become routine. Uh, you know, you get up, you, you go to work, you, you go to church, you go to this Bible study, you, you take kids to soccer, and you, all these things, and it just becomes part of this, this routine that we live, uh, including um, coming to Sunday mornings, coming to uh, midweek things. And, and we want to just battle against that becoming routine and realizing that, that the lifeblood uh, of our church is the fact that we can, can live in a relationship to one another and that we can live together in relationship to our Savior. And, and so that's just a really important thing. And so as we, uh, next week, we're going to roll out, kind of have our sign-up sheets for home groups, and you'll see the various locations, the homes, where they meet. Um, it, it's kind of, if, if you call this your church, if this is what you, where you've decided that is your church home, we, we kind of don't want this to be an option. Um, you know, obviously we can't make anybody do anything, but, but this is just how important we believe uh, these groups are, is that, that if you're part of this fellowship and you're a committed part of this fellowship, man, we want you to be involved in, in a home group. Um, not so we can look at ourselves and say, look, look at this thing that we've built. We've got all these groups with this many people. That, that, that really doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> just as we live out this gospel uh, together, we, we help one another do it, and it's the way that, that God has, has set things up. Right? Scripture teaches that, that God has given us a measure of grace, that he's given each of us a gift uh, for a purpose. Right? And that purpose is for the edification of the body. And so something that, that and maybe you haven't thought of it this way, but, but you know, I'm up here saying that, yeah, you need home groups, but, but I'm also saying that, that home groups need you. Right? The people in, in the home group that you participate in need the gift that God has given you. It's the purpose for which God has, has gifted all of us so that we could edify one another. And so we don't want to look at these as, you know, what can I get out of this? Um, you know, the, the temptation is to look at, well, I don't know if I have time for this. I don't know if I can fit it into my schedule. Um, it, as much as you need to be a part of this, other people need for you to be a part of this as well. The body needs for you to be a part of this as well. And, and so we just want to put a really strong emphasis uh, on these 242 groups. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more about what they look like. I'm not, not going to get into all that today. Um, but, but if you haven't been a part of one, um, <clears throat> you know, come talk to any of us after church, grab somebody that has been a part of one and just ask them, hey, tell me, tell me about these 242 groups. I'd like to know um, because I guarantee that anybody that's, that's been a part of one uh, will tell you, yeah, be, be a part of one because um, it's just such a, such a vital part uh, of our lives as, as we do this thing together. And so just, just can't stress that enough, you guys. Um, just excited for what God's going to do in this upcoming season is just we remember and, and we kind of, I don't know if I want to say refocus, but just remember why we started this thing in the first place. Uh, and, and as we continually are reminded of our purpose, uh, it's just going to be real exciting. So, so that's coming up. If you have questions, um, feel free to grab me after service, grab Kevin, grab Stuart, grab anybody, and we'd be happy to talk to you more about this. Uh, but, but just super important and, and just excited for what God's going to do. So um, that's all I have for home groups. Uh, Kevin's going to come and, and talk a little more about kind of the, the why to all of this. I don't know if Chad mentioned this or not, but Rory's gone. He's on vacation. So um, <clears throat> um, see some new faces out there, met some new people. My name is Kevin, and um, I'm one of the, the elders. Uh, Chad is another elder in Rory, and we uh, joyfully serve you guys as the elders of this body. Um, 
And like I said, it's good to see some new faces. We actually have uh, our new exchange student came in uh, from Denmark last night at, at uh, midnight. So, so uh, you guys can uh, be sure to, to welcome her. Our family is really excited to be able to serve her for the next year. Some wonderful people from California and all over the place. So good, good to see everybody. How are you guys all doing? That was, that was exciting, yeah. How are you guys all doing? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. <clears throat> so as Chad said, we want to talk to you guys uh, today about the why of, of home groups and really the why of everything. What is this for? What is this gathering here for? Why do you come here? Why do we read the word? Why do we follow God? Why do we do anything that we do? And uh, that's going to be what we're going to do, what, we're, what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to do an expository teaching today, so I'm not going to just uh, open up the Word and tear apart and show you what God is saying necessarily, although we are going to look at some Scripture. Uh, that's not what's going to ha- what we're, our focus is for today. It's just showing you, giving you the, the fresh vision uh, as we're embarking on the, the home groups that are coming up, as Chad was speaking about, and it's really the vision that drives everything uh, we're just here today to try to put some more fire behind that vision, uh, to generate some excitement uh, for what God is excited about. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm just going to be up here for about 25 minutes, and then we're going to have some extended uh, worship and uh, communion. All right, so if we want to know why, why we're here, what is it that we're doing, we ought to ask ourselves, well, what, what should we be doing? What should, we, what should be our motivation? Well, as believers, as Christians, God is behind everything, right? So we need to look to God and go, okay, what is God doing? What is God about? What is his aim? What's his purpose in what he's doing? What is he doing? So really we're going to look at at, at what is the ultimate aim of God? What's the ultimate goal of God? There can only be one ultimate goal, right? Right? There can't be several ultimate goals. There can't be one, there has to be one end goal, the end of everything. And everything else is a means to that end. There can't be multiple end goals. Uh, I'll explain this. Um, the ultimate goal for pretty much for the natural human is that we would live a life of comfort, that we would live a life of satisfaction, of pleasure. Those are our ultimate goals. We use things as a means to get there. Um, we work not because we thoroughly enjoy it, but because it gets us money, right? And, 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 and yes, we can love money, but, but really it's not the money that we love, is it? We don't, we don't wear the money. We don't eat the money. We're not satisfied with the money. We like what, the money, what money gets for us. Money, money can get us a multitude of things. It gets us food. That satisfies us. Now I'm, I'm hitting my comfort spot. My aim is now being satisfied. My goal is being satisfied. It gives me a shelter, right? My home uh, uh, gives me, you know, car to get to and from places. So the, the, these cars, the home, all these things are to aim at getting me my end goal, which is comfort, to live a life of comfort, pleasure, satisfaction. Unfortunately, those things uh, end up being the ultimate thing in our life rather than, rather than God being the ultimate thing. Okay, so that kind of helps you understand what I'm talking about when I say ultimate goal. What's the ultimate aim of Christ? Um, okay, so why do we have to ask what God's ultimate aim is to know what ours is? Well, God's the creator, right? 
uh, it makes sense that him as the creator of everything, that we would ask him what we're to do. What should we be doing? Let's, let's look at what he's doing. He created this whole thing, all of us, all the earth, all the people, everything. So obviously then he has creator rights. He gets to say what happens. So we look to God for answers. How do we live? What do we say? What do we walk like? And as we do that, we're, we're, we're saying, okay, I want to be a follower of God. I want to be an imitator of God. So what's God saying? What's he doing? Well, as you explain to your family members, your loved ones, your friends, when you try to explain what God is doing, what do you say? A lot of times we sit here and we go, okay, well, God, God saves you. And that's true, and that's great, and we're thankful. God loves you, and that's true. He helps you in times of trouble. We explain this to people. He strengthens you. He encourages you, comforts you, guides you. All these things God does, and there are, it's, it's very true. But if this is all that we ever talk about, if this is all we ever preach, if this is all we ever tell somebody, it's an incomplete message, it actually isn't even the end of what God is doing. You see, if, if, if it's all about us, about my comfort, my joy, my salvation, the subject, the subject of God's glory, of, of his aim, rather, the subject of God's aim is me, would be us. So God exists then for me. God exists for my comfort, my pleasure, and my joy. That's what we'd be saying is the end goal of God. The Bible doesn't say that that's what the end goal is. All those things are great things for us, and all those things are true, but that is not the aim of what God is doing. You guys, the Bible tells us the aim of what God is doing is that he would be glorified in everything. That is the purpose of God. That is the ultimate end of God. That he be glorified in everything. Now, if I was doing an expository teaching, I'd unpack a whole bunch of verses and show you that. But actually, what's going to be kind of fun at the end, we're actually going to have several verses, you know, New Testament verses, Old Testament verses that actually state this and will show you this. It's not hidden. This is what the Bible is about. That God would be the recipient of glory. So what is, it, is it all about man or is it all about God? Well, the Bible tells us it's all about God. That God would, would, would glorify himself. So what does this glory mean? What is glory? What does this mean when he glorifies himself? Well, he exalts himself. He lifts himself up. He magnifies himself. He makes much of himself. He worships himself. It's like, well, how does, what's, what's going on with all that? That kind of sounds kind of, kind of selfish. It doesn't sound like the loving God that I've been told about. Well, let me continue. Who or what else should God glorify? Who or what else should he lift up? Since God is the creator of everything, would it make any sense at all if he was to bow down to the earth, to the planet? If he's to look at the planet and go, I, I lift you up, I magnify you, everything I do is for this planet, whatever it wants to do. Wouldn't make any sense, would it? What if God made another God that was exactly like him? All the same attributes, all the same power, everything. Everything. Still wouldn't be right for him to lift up that God. Why? 
Because he created it. I made you. I can wipe you out. It would make no sense for God to lift that. So how could it possibly make sense that God would magnify me, a sinner? Someone completely opposed to God. As Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, that we all were there. All of us at one time were opposed to God. How could that make sense that God would magnify and elevate me as the end of what he is doing? So God has to magnify himself. It's the only thing that makes sense. If, if he magnified and lifted up somebody, something else above him, it wouldn't be a God worth following. It wouldn't make any sense at all. Well, here's the good news for us, you guys, in that. In the fact that God's ultimate end is his own glory. The great news for us is that the ultimate way that God chooses to express this glory, to give himself this glory, is in the saving of people. The ultimate way he chooses to extend, or rather to uh, receive glory, is extending mercy to mankind. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do this. If you remember, the Bible teaches us that God is eternal. That means eternally this way in the future, right? That's kind of what we get to take part in forever. God also was eternal past. God has existed. Somehow our minds can't even get there, but eternally in the past, not needing us, not needing a human race to worship him. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been continually doing that forever. And he's been self-satisfied in that. He's self-sufficient, self-exalted. He doesn't need us to complete him. God doesn't need our glory. He chose to exalt himself in glory by extending mercy to people who deserve hell. And what does that produce? That produces a whole lot of praise, doesn't it? whole lot of thankfulness in our hearts that God would come down to save me? That he would come down and become a man and be beaten, be spit upon, be mocked, ridiculed, and eventually killed just so that he can be glorified? That is amazing, isn't it? We get to take part in that. What an amazing thing. I am so thankful for that. And that, that, that should drop us to our knees in praise and worship of God, right? So God isn't selfish in that he loves and exalts himself. He's very loving. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, this is the only scripture that I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through it rather quickly here. You can look there, you can just listen. Starting in verse 3, I want to show you how this is true. I want to show you how the end of himself is that he would glorify himself. But I want to show you how we get saved in that process. That man is, or that God is ultimately glorified in the saving of man. 
Verse 3 in chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we're starting right off with what God has done. The Father has blessed us with Christ. Verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us. In love He predestined us, in verse 5, for adoptions as sons... Through Christ Jesus. So he adopted us. He chose us. It was all him. It was nothing that you did. It was God. Why? Why was it just him? Why was it all about him? Verse 5 goes on and says, According to the purpose of his will. So he had a plan and he had a purpose in doing that. Verse 6 tells us why. To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. That is why he predestined us. That is why he extended grace. No man is deserving, not even a little bit. He did it all. God the Father allowed it and he killed his son on your behalf. And Jesus willingly did it, became a man for you. He did it all to the praise of his glorious grace. We'll keep going. With which he is blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. So don't forget about what we get out of this. It's amazing. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. What's the mystery? According to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So here's his purpose. Here's the mystery revealed. Here's the purpose of God to unite all things, it says in Verse 10 there, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the plan of God. I'm bringing everything back to me, he said. Everything. Not that all men will be saved. I'm not saying that. But mankind, everything brought back to him. For him. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, there's another word there, purpose, or same word, another time rather, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, purpose and will, keep hearing those words, what is it? So that we who were the first to hope, this is the purpose, we that were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. There's our kind of our guarantee of salvation right there. We're secured in Christ. We're secured with the Holy Spirit. And we know that verse, and we're thankful for that verse. Keep going. Verse 14 says this, though. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? That's what I was talking about. The guarantee until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit to the praise of His glory. So we see here that it is all about God and what it's for. It's about His glory. He's saved us as individuals. And in uh, chapter 2, he goes on to talk about the individuals. Now, uh, Paul is is, is preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, It started with Israel, the Jewish nation. And Paul is is unraveling the mystery of God uh, for the fullness of time, which is that all men would know, all nations would know, and anyone can be saved. So we're saved as individuals to a body of Christ, like Chad was talking about. Verse 19 in chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're a fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, that's all of us being joined together now, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So now we're being, we're, we're a temple, we're, we're gaining some momentum here. Why? Let's take a look in chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister, Paul said, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So it, it's just, I'm, unre- I'm unraveling the plan. I'm, I'm uncovering the mystery. I'm letting you guys know it's, it's just for everyone. We can all be saved. For what reason? Verse 10 tells us, so that through the church... The body of Christ, right? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. Paul's telling us right here, here's the purpose of the church. That we would make much of God. That his wisdom would be on display. God's plan is that we would come together and worship him so that everything could see that. The the, the, the the powers of the air, the heavenly, everything, everything would see that God is worshipped. God is glorified. Everything. That's the plan of the church. We come together for that reason. We know God for that reason. We are saved for that reason. Verse 11 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he, God the Father, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This came about through Christ. He's saying what Jesus did. He saved you so that you could praise him and make much of him. In verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we, that's good for us too, right? We have confidence and we have boldness because of our faith. So what does this mean, you guys? These two things happening at once. He's all talking about salvation here and us. What about the glory? It's the end. Isn't it great that that's how God chose to do this? Aren't we thankful that the best way... That he could figure out that he designed to make much of him is to create a people that are worthless and don't deserve to be with him. And he says, I'll die so you can. That's where our joy comes from, you guys. It's understanding that, it's knowing that, it's realizing that. That he saved us. He died for us, that he loved us that much that we could make much of him. That's where you get the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? Our joy comes from His getting glory. And His getting glory comes from our joy. You guys, if you don't, 
if you don't know about the glory of God or if you don't love the glory of God, if you don't love that he gets made much of, if he isn't the biggest name in your mind, if he isn't the only name, I don't know that you love God. If you don't love the fact that God is all about his own glory and him seeking his own glory, you don't know what God's up to. I don't know how you could love God. If you're not just consumed with this making much of him, praising him, exalting him, you you can't possibly be following him. Because, see, that's what God does. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. That's what he came here for. John 17 tells us that Jesus came to complete his work, that you, Father, would be glorified. And and, and in, in do so, he saved people. I came to do your will, that you would be glorified. What a beautiful prayer John 17 is. And glory is in there. I don't know how many times. I probably should have looked that up. But it just it's amazing. That was Jesus' purpose. That God the Father would be made much of in his ministry here. And God the Father's purpose is that he's going to glorify the Son. Don't be consumed, you guys, with you. It's not a good thing. It's not a good idea. Don't be consumed with the things that you do or don't do. Don't be consumed with are you a good Christian? Are you a behaving Christian? Are you a whatever kind of Christian? Don't be consumed with that. If you're consumed with your failures or your successes as a Christian, you are after your own glory. If you're consumed what you need to do for God, you're after your own glory. You guys remember Christ died for us so we didn't have to think about us and so we didn't have to be these selfish jerks anymore. We get to worship someone who's way better than us and repent when we blow it. But it's not about us. It's certainly not our focus. So what does this look like to be consumed with God? What does it look like? How do I get there? What, what is it all about? It's about one thing. It's worship. It's worship. What does it mean for me to worship God? Is it just a bunch of singing? You know, worship music. That's what we do, right? This is how you do it. You just, you just, you, you just sing. That is a phenomenal way to do it. Love to do that. That is not the only thing. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whatever you do, whether you eat, Or whatever you eat, whatever you drink, everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. God wants your glory in everything that you do. Your motivation for everything in life should be one thing. It's to bring glory to God. He is the only one worthy of glory. He is the only one worthy of glory. That should be your aim. That should be my aim. We're reminded of the story in Luke 10 about Mary and Martha, Jesus coming to visit Mary and Martha, two sisters. And Martha, she starts immediately, welcomes Jesus into the house, and goes and immediately starts preparing a meal for him, serving him. Loving him through service, right? What does Mary do? 
She goes down and plops herself at Jesus' feet, just listening to him, taking everything in. And then what does Mary say? She sees her sister just sitting there and she's doing all the work. Martha goes over, rather. Martha goes over and says, Jesus, look at Mary. She's just sitting here. What's going on? How, how come? You know, tell her to get off her lazy rear end to help me. Remember what Jesus said? Martha, you have many things that are troubling you. Many things that are troubling you. Mary has chosen the one good portion. What is that? Worship God. Now, it is a great thing to serve God. We, we, we definitely will serve God. But it comes out of a heart first that's worshiping. So everything that we do needs to be a worship experience of God. There's nothing else in life worthwhile doing. John Piper in his book, um, I can't remember it. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. Uh, in, in one of his recent books, it's a, it's a book on missions. Anyway, he says this. First three sentences of that book. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Did you guys catch that? Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. And we could input anything in there in, replace of, in, in place of missions. The gathering of the church is not the ultimate goal. Bible studies is not the ultimate goal. Serving people is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is a worship experience of God. And so even in preaching to our brothers and sisters, even to you know, any, anyone, we're preaching, our, our aim, first and foremost, is that God would be glorified. Not simply just that this person would be saved. That is amazing. That is a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. And our heart needs to be there. But we do it regardless. Regardless of what that person's response is. Because God is lifted up. Regardless if they love God or come to know God. We do it because God is made much of. John Stott said this. The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission... You know what the Great Commission says? Go and make disciples? I mean, that's like the missionary statement. This is pretty profound what he's saying here. The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, but rather its zeal, a burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Only one imperialism is Christian. And here it is. And that concern for his, and that is concern for his imperial majesty Jesus Christ and for the glory of his empire. So why does it matter that I understand all this? Why does it matter that I understand what is God's ultimate aim? Because it will radically impact how you live your life as a Christian.
you must understand that that is what God is after. When you realize what God is after, number one, I'll give you, the, okay, so three things, I'm gonna, and they're not like, this is an exhaustive list, these are three things that really hit me hard. As you realize and remember that God is after his own glory, he's not, his focus is not me, it's him. Oh, he loves me very much. His, his end is him. And I'm an imitator of him. I'm a follower of him. That helps me remember that I don't have to focus on me. My focus isn't on me as I'm an imitator of him. So in understanding this, this helps me keep my eyes focused on God and not me. How good or bad I'm doing as a Christian. I'm not the center of my universe. I'm definitely not the center of his universe. He is. Remember, as Christians, he saved us from this way of thinking. He saved us from selfishness, from self-exaltation, from just looking at me. Now I get to look at him. I get to look at others. But you guys, if we continue this way of thinking as Christians, that it's all about me, it leads us to one of two results. The first is that you may get some kind of um, you may get, you, you may succeed in, in some small measure if you're focusing on you and what you're doing and how well you're behaving and all these things. You may get some small measure of success, and then you become the most prideful person in the world to be around, and nobody will want to be around you. Nobody will want to hear about how good you are when you're your own focus. Or second thing that happens, which happens often in a person trying to just focus on them being good, is you fail a lot, and so you feel very condemned. I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. And it's true, you won't. You get so focused and so consumed with how I'm doing, and you don't even look at God who did everything. The second thing, why it matters that I understand that God's aim is him, that God's aim is his own glory, is that if I'm the end of the gospel message, if it just stops with me, I will never feel an urgency to proclaim it to anybody else. I won't really care. Because I'm not after his glory, so I don't care that other people hear how great he is. And it's all about me anyway, so I don't really care about you. Where are you at, Christian? Where are you at in your proclaiming of the gospel, of the glory of God to people? Where are you at? Are you concerned with the glory of God in your workplace? The rest of your family members? People you meet at the store? Thirdly and lastly, the reason we need to understand that God is after his own glory is because if we don't, the life of a Christian won't make any sense. Living the life, as this Bible tells us that we should live as a Christian, won't make any sense. Mainly because suffering won't make any sense. And, and, and the Bible tells us that if you follow me, you will be persecuted. So suffering's on the way if you follow Christ. 
It just is. That won't make any sense. If we think that God's sole purpose is about me. I taught once on suffering. You had a, a person come up to me and said, that's ruined it. That's ruined it for me. That's ruined it. This whole thing, it's ruined. I thought God, I thought this whole thing was about me. You guys, we're not exempt from suffering. As a matter of fact, we're told that we are going to suffer. When you're suffering for a reason, for a purpose, it makes far better sense. Our purpose that we would suffer is so that God could get glorified. The purpose that Jesus Christ came here to suffer is that God would be glorified. We're just doing the same thing he did. We're just following in his footsteps. We suffer because it glorifies God. We don't have to make sense of all of the suffering and what all it is, other than the fact that somehow God is glorified in this situation. So those are the three things, three reasons. There's probably far more than that. Stuart, you guys can make your way up here. You guys, so we see that God is after his own glory. And the, and the primary way, the ultimate way that he has chosen to receive that glory is extending mercy to you and me. What an awesome thing. That's why we do everything that we do. So you guys, glorifying God doesn't nullify anything that we do. It gives what we do the purpose. It gives a purpose for everything that we do. That's our purpose. That's our aim. You guys, we as elders, we as a leadership, we desire to raise up a people that have a passion for the glory of God. And we're just trying to implement it here in Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, 242 groups. Bible studies with women, with men, just exalting the name of God, trying to encourage everyone to speak of Him wherever you're at at all times. Glorify God in all that you do. So there's our, our reminder of the vision. There's our reminder of what we're doing. And now we're, we're going to get into some extended worship, you guys. Um, and uh, Stuart's going to lead us in communion. And we're going to have some, some verses that come up here on the screen. I want you to look at those. Those verses are God talking about God receiving his own glory. The bold letters especially. Focus on that. Listen to that. Meditate on these verses. You guys, the Bible is filled with verses talking about God receiving his glory. And yet we get saved. What an awesome thing. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.